the name of the values that keep you alive do not let your vision of man be distorted by the ugly, the cowardly, the mindless, and those who have never achieved his title. Do not lose your knowledge that man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransigent mind, and a step that travels on limited roads. Do not let your fire go out sparked by replacing the spark and hope the swamps of the approximate are not quite the not yet and not at all. The world you desired can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm here with Pablo Arias. He is our CMO. He does all of our marketing, social media, a uh, bunch of fun stuff. Hey guys. So thanks for being here, Pablo. Yeah. Pleasure um, to be on. <laughs> yeah. And so we've talked about you a little bit, but. Uh, this is the first time you're actually on, so it'll be good for people to get a little acquainted to you, see what you do, um, and I think we'll just sort of go from there. First, I want to start with a little bit of housekeeping stuff. I know some people have complained we've had a few mic issues. <laughs> when we did the interview with John, his computer actually died about halfway through, so we lost half the audio, and we kind of had to make do, and he was a super busy guy, so I know that one wasn't great, and we're probably going to redo that, or uh, do one with a little more focus on some of the other things he's got more expertise in, uh, super knowledgeable guy, so I think it'll be good to get him back on. Um, a, we had a couple people fact check a couple of things, so I do want to say, when I talked about Google and their censorship of China, Someone mentioned they had dropped that about a month ago, so uh, I do want to give credit where credit is due. Um, you know, we're busy guys, we're trying to do a lot of stuff, so if you catch any of us saying something that, you know, you know might not be true, uh, please call us out on it because we want to have as much factual information as possible, and it's probably just because we haven't had time to read up on everything in the <laughs> every industry. Uh, pretty busy. And... Other than that, if there's any other reason you feel like reaching out, uh, Twitter's a great way to do it. It's at CryptoEconomy underscore me, and me and Pablo uh, are running that account. So one of us will get the message and we'll sh get back to you. Uh, we've had a few people ask us about coming on the podcast, and if you or someone interesting you know is interested, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, we're going to be having our new website for Atlas up hopefully sometime in the next week I know we've been kinda of behind on some of the stuff we've been saying we're gonna get out it's kinda of part and parcel of, of working in tech uh, but you know we've been traveling a lot so I've been in between New York LA and Austin so it's been pretty hectic but we're gonna be getting some stuff done Will is gonna be meeting me in New York so with Will and I here we're gonna be able to get a bunch done in the next couple weeks and then over the summer uh, we're gonna be a lot more free I think to make some good headway so it's coming I promise uh, and we have a new article on the cryptoeconomy.news site so if you wanna take a look at the weekly digest what we're doing with that is just taking stories that we find interesting or stuff I find interesting I'm writing it right now uh, and summarizing it for you in a couple pages, just a little blurb about each thing, why it's important, what's interesting about it, things you should know. Um, so that story is up on the Dot .news website, and you can find it on our LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. Uh, so with that, we'll get started, Pablo. Thanks for sitting through that one. Sure thing. <laughs> All right, so 
I guess getting into your background, how did you start entrepreneurship? I know you started, you know, selling essentially satellite TV in high school, right? Yeah, that that word selling is a uh, is a, is a flagship trait that I've always had. I come from a very merchant type family, so being an entrepreneur was very natural. It's literally because I knew nothing else. Like, <laughs> like I had no option. <laughs> I would yeah. be the I would be the odd one out in my family if I wasn't an entrepreneur because every single person in my family is in one way, shape, or form. So um, that was all supernatural. Uh, luckily, I had role models to look after. You know, my older brother and my mother, um, who I watched them just day in and day out, grind, 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 practice on their craft and. It just motivated me to do something similar, and uh, so I went to answer your question. One long-winded answer, like it was simply like, I, like the, the, an alternative wasn't even like I never even considered an alternative. I was the kid that when we went out to like music concerts and stuff, I would have my mom take me to Costco before I would get packs of gums at wholesale price, and I would walk around and sell them piece by piece. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember there was an economy back in elementary school of just what every, uh, what every exactly. snack was worth, you know, there's an exchange rate, <laughs> one exactly. bag of hot Cheetos was two sandwiches, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I, I knew in elementary school, I was an entrepreneur when we would get these, uh, they were called like these tokens in class of, uh, that were given to you if you behaved well or you know, you got a star next to your name for that day because you didn't disturb class or anything like that. So we were incentivized to be good kids in school yeah. and they would give us these little, you know, tokens and stuff that uh, every Friday we would get to, you know, count up all of our tokens and, and buy stuff from the quote unquote treasure chest um, yeah. that our teacher gave us. And so I was like, Shit, I was running a little treasure chest franchise in elementary school. Just like, you know, A, being on my best behavior, and, you know, B, when I wasn't on my best behavior, which was about 50 50 at the time, um, I would figure out a way to barter, trade, do whatever I could to still get my tokens. Um, I would trade kids, you know. You know, hey, give me, give me, you know, two tokens, and I'll give you my lunch today. Yeah, um, you know, gotta get those tokens. Yeah, so same, same in twenty eighteen, just a little different. Exactly. Um, so that was all. Like, you know, I, I knew very young. I, I was always selling shit, trading shit, and it was fun to me, and it felt supernatural. Um, it was just the way I was wired, and so coming into entrepreneurship was just a really like a, I, it was just like a pre-written destined plan for me yeah so so how did you get started you know selling tv for example or you know how did you first get into some of your first projects okay. and my what do you first, think you learned sure my very very first um well okay my first venture was a network marketing company which all of us i feel you know i've heard about one or been a part of one where you know you you sell shit to other people and you get rewarded kind of a, from affiliate it. marketing exactly okay. yes exactly so that was my very first venture and it was selling these energy drinks company called Vima ended up you know going under um, you know FTC whatever uh, <laughs> uh, selling poison <laughs> yeah well, no it wasn't because of that it wasn't because even MLM, MLM companies. Uh, 
everybody says, you know, the pyramid scheme and all that. Um, and so it was like one of those, like, oh, you I know, see. iffy type of things. Um, <laughs> well, you still see those Herbalife trucks right, rolling around, right. you know? It's like, where do you draw the line? Exactly. exactly. They're still, I mean, you know, they're still under a lot of scrutiny on a daily basis. Every single MLM company is because it's just, uh, it, like you said, it's a, uh, it's a fishy line. Um, when, yeah. Whenever you're recruiting people into a business for the sake of making money off them, um, but like, I mean, he unfortunately his his karma came back to him. I think he had a heart attack the minute his company got successful. <laughs> oh shit! Well, R.I.P. If he's still alive, or yeah. I don't know what the situation is. But nevertheless, I started there. Um, I don't regret it at all. I regret like the way I went about it in terms of like, you know, I didn't want to, I, 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 I took it too serious. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, um, but that was just the way I did anything. Like I can't half-ass anything. If I'm going to do oh, it, course. I might as well do it, you know, at the best, you know, my maximal, uh, my, my maximum Capacity. potential. Yeah. Um, and so I started there. It got me just, it got me comfortable talking to people. And just it, what the best thing it did for me was it put me onto a path of self development. Like that was the most important thing was that like it it put me it, it forced me to be around people that were all like very ambitious and really gave a shit about their future. And so like we would talk about like we would read books and, yeah. and have like book reviews with one another on like, you know, hey, this is what we learned. So overall, it was just like being growing as people, um, which was great. That so was like, like my- that's that's the whole reason those companies are successful is they have this ability to somehow attract all these incredibly motivated people, but then get them to sell garbage. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it literally the, why those companies thrive is because of the communities. It's like building a culture of excellence of just people committing to being the best ver- version of themselves. Yeah. And so that was what was really attractive to me. That was actually the main reason I wanted to join. I didn't give a shit about the products while they were really healthy. They had mango steam, these superfoods and all that. Uh-huh. Like I mostly cared about, wait, like there's other people out in the world that I was meeting on the internet, like and talking to on Skype that were just as ambitious as I was. And like, they, you know, at my age, when I started, I was 15 years old. Like, you know, all my friends, they cared about just, you know, girls and parties on the weekends. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was a nice change to like talk about people like, you know, staying in on a Friday night and doing like book reviews with one another. That was the main reason why I just joined the company. It was like, I, I love that idea of just talking to people on a daily basis that have similar goals that I had. Yeah, it's that, it's that sort of shift from talking about people and things to talking about ideas. And right, you know, that has exactly. to happen at some point. Yep. And so then from there... I got to meet a lot of cool people, and uh, and then as a result of that, the, the a, a cool group of dudes I met decided that we should start selling. Uh, we should start working for a, a solar company. Um, it was a solar, That was my first like official job. Even though it wasn't a paid job, it was all performance based. Like it was, I guess, like it, an official like little. Like I, I had my first official little work polo and binder, pretty much. Um, <laughs> there you go. And so, um, we started working for a company. My first thing outside of the network marketing stuff was the door-to-door uh, lead generation uh, company, where we would knock on doors and set up solar appointments for 
for solar representatives to come to someone's house and pitch them on setting up a solar system on their home. Um, so you're just kind of figuring out if people are interested. Essentially. Exactly. That was it. Like we were, I wasn't the one selling the actual solar system. I was just setting up the meeting and we would get paid based on like how many meetings we set up. Yep. So that was like my first introduction to direct sales. Um, and from there, we, I transitioned to a solar company in which I was actually now knocking on the door and selling them the system called Suncrest. Um, and, uh, that was pretty much the same thing. Instead of just setting up the appointment, I would actually set up the appointment for myself to come back and, uh, walk them through all the solar, analyze their savings, how much they'd be saving annually and, uh, try and hook up a solar system to their house. And then from there, that's when we decided to move on over to direct TV. My manager at the time had started with direct TV said, uh, DirecTV was a lot easier to sell because we're selling 24-month contracts instead of 25-year contracts. <laughs> yeah, um, a little less commitment. Yeah, and so started doing that, um, and that was a lot of fun because um, it was super easy to talk to people about TV. Everybody, you know, loves watching TV or whatever. Yep. Um, but then also it got to a point where I started feeling guilty, like, you know, I'm buying or I'm selling people something that I wouldn't buy myself and you know like I don't even really believe in TV I don't watch TV myself yeah. and so I felt guilty probably some you know. hefty termination yeah built into <laughs> so I was you know I was over that um, I decided you know uh, I've done enough door-to-door -door sales like I've learned everything I needed to I, I the main thing I like why I decided to get involved in door-to-door -door was for the learning and experience that I was gonna go through um, it taught me how to deal with rejection, never take rejection personally, and how to always focus on what was in my control, and that was my input. So I actually did this thing where I analyzed how many doors it would take, it, how, I would analyze how many doors I knocked and how many deals uh, I got out of that amount, and then mm -hmm. I started focusing not on how many deals I can get today, but on how many doors I can knock that day. And so I got to a point where I knew that if I would knock on a hundred houses, I would get seven deals. Um, and so it just started, I started focusing on just knocking a hundred houses a day. Like I wasn't focused on deals. I was just focused on my input on how many doors I was knocking on. And that completely changed everything. And it was just a great life lesson on, you know, you can't always control the outcome, but you can control what how much you are, yeah you how in, much you're yeah. putting in and so um i was super stoked on that um you know my when i first started that solar gig like um i was like i was making six figures a year in high school um literally uh -huh. like just at, right after school i would come home toss on my polo and just go out and knock doors um and so like it, it made me uh super comfortable with myself and like everything I wanted to pursue because like I, at that point I didn't give a shit about money anymore. I realized that like, you know, I'm, I, I now know how to sell and if I ever hit rock bottom, I can just put on a polo and go knock doors again and keep myself yeah. afloat. <laughs> it's and nice so, to know you, you know where your rock bottom is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like it, it, it not, it like it allowed me to start chasing things I was actually passionate about and I was passionate about gaming at the time. I've always been like a little gamer. Uh, 
in middle school, all I did was play Call of Duty. Like literally, <laughs> like I I went to I went to football practice and then played Call of Duty. Like that oh, was like those my were the only, days. Yeah, yep. that was that was literally everything I would do. Um, and uh, since since all of that, like I I knew I knew that I was comfortable communicating with people, and I wanted to build a gaming company. Um, in which you know I drafted up a solid team. Um, we started working on mobile games, um, long story short with that, um, we, and I know you have experience with this, Mark, um, we took venture capital funding from the wrong people, um, and that, like, completely tore the passion that I had for the venture, um, like, it wasn't even fun anymore, it it didn't feel like I was building the company for myself, like, we, we had too many chefs in the kitchen, and it, it it really just uh, messed up like just the chemistry of the team and the venture and everything. Um, and yeah. so since it's that important gaming, to keep things fun and cordial, and you know you got to offset the stress with something. Yeah. So then from there, I decided you know um, I don't want to have to deal with investors. Um, I want to do something where like I can do something new every single day. Um, where I can create overall, like I just love creating stuff and I wanted to be in a position where I can create all day. And that's what led me to social media. And so about three years ago, I had, uh, I talked to a buddy of mine who was doing this thing called like meme pages or passion pages, theme pages, whatever you want to call them, where he would post native content relevant to a certain niche on Instagram and brands would pay for features on his page. And he would just be like chilling on his couch all day, like on his phone, just posting memes and making money. And that was like super intriguing to me. And so I decided to look into it more. Uh, Luckily, at the time, I had saved up some money from my door-to-door days. And so I literally emptied out my bank account from everything I had made in door-to-door, invested it into shout-outs and buying accounts and and growing pages um, on Instagram. And then that allowed me to start building a distributional network for myself um and for the past two and a half years that's been my bread and butter is selling shout outs we call them on social media and running campaigns for both consumer facing brands and personalities and just growing their instagram brands um so how did you get some of your first clients you know how do you even get started with that did you have to build your own brand first or Right, I took um, I took the reverse approach that most people take. I I wanted the clients to come to me, and so luckily, like most of my in- and even till this day, actually, most of my clients are inbound, um, meaning that they reach out to me uh, via DM, via Kick, or via email um, from discovering one of my channels online, and so I. I just decided, well, let me just have the leverage first. Let me build a community. Um, and then once I have that community, I can then monetize it. And so that was how I went about it. It was I just built the community first. And then once I already had the community, offer offers started coming in uh, for so, exposure. So when you were building the community, what was sort of the guiding philosophy behind it? What were you trying to it was, use as the uniting factor, I guess? It was to give more than I took. I always put the community first, consumers first. So I would 
provide them with more value that they were providing me. And so they won't be as pissed off when I run an ad on them. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that was the main thing was I wanted to just build a loyal fan base of people that I was actually delivering value to them in whatever manner, depending on the page, would look like for that person. And so then I was operating out of the waiting out of the law, out of the law, read the law, wrestling so much that they just felt indebted to me um, and wouldn't care if I ran an ad or if I wanted to sell some products. So when you were looking at a lot of these ads and sponsors and with your clients as well, do you think they take a good hard look at the products and make sure that, you know, they're legitimate or, I mean, clearly Facebook doesn't at all, but <laughs> do you think they've done a good job at that? As, 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 can you repeat the question one more time? Sorry. Yeah, sure. So when, when you're looking at companies approaching uh -huh. you or your clients for shout outs, are they, are your clients typically thinking about if the product is good, do they get a sample first? You know, how much time is being put into making sure it's something worth putting out to this base that they've spent so much time building? Oh, okay. Um, on my end, I always vet the type of clients I take on. I don't post anything that's going to that's gonna be harmful to my community or lead them astray, meaning like lead them to some sort of scam shit or something because I get yeah. like yeah. tons of offers. Like, like dudes will literally hit me up saying, hey, want to scam people together? And I'm just like, fuck off, you dick. Like, <laughs> you do not like yeah. – I can't believe you don't believe in karma. Um, like, yeah, I'm sure the money's better. Yeah, so like – I um I always vet the clients that I do promos for, you know, I check their website. Um I ask them to like, you know, send me proof that like that they're actually fulfilling orders um and uh and then I I I also just recommend them like like quality products that I think would do well. Like if a product is just like too weird or like too just off uh, off brand for me, then I won't post it. Um, I always like to like uh, give the audience something that they would actually consume. You know, like not run. Yeah. It's all about product market fit too, and it's also to pr protect the the client as well. Like I don't want to have a client be pissed off at me when they run ads with me on like uh, on demographics that simply like would have never bought their products anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, like, so I've, I've been moving more into the cannabis sector as well, like working with cannabis brands and I'm still like, like I'm yeah. still denying like, uh, promos on certain pages because like, I just know that the demographic doesn't add up and like my, my audience would be pissed off on certain pages if I <laughs> ran to them yeah. a cannabis ad, they would just unfollow me or something, you know? Um, yeah. Well, so yeah, it's it. I mean, it's a good way to keep keep people honest. Exactly. You know? So yeah, to answer your question, I mean, I just vet everybody that approaches me, and um, I give them any and all like helpful advice on like where they should be placing their ads. Like, and I don't take on clients unless I can genuinely help them because I think my personal brand is just too valuable to have someone like be talking bad about me about like, oh, I hired this guy for marketing services and he didn't deliver type stuff so like i'm always like n being super careful about who i take on and like uh that's actually what i started doing was i started also um 
uh, sorry, my alarm's going on. Actually, as we speak, I'm going to be <laughs> one of your. I'm uh, going to be posting an one ad. One of your posts is scheduled. Yeah, yeah. for 3 p.m. and I always post like I do it one minute before 2:59 p.m. So I post it timely. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, so so yeah, to answer your question, I just vet them and I don't take on everyone. Um, and I also um, I started doing minimums. So like. Uh, I don't take on clients unless they're mm, budget and budget spend like uh-huh. I get clients that want to spend like the very very minimal amount and it's just simply not enough to move the needle and doesn't give us enough wiggle room to uh, to do a B testing trial and error um, and so that's also one thing that really helped my agency was uh, instead of trying to get all the clients in the world, it was just to focus on a few premium clients that I was actually delivering results for. So when you talk about a budget, I mean, even I have no idea what a shout out costs. Is it based on the number of followers, the demographics? And if it is demographics, how do you even figure that out without, you know, detailed analytics? I don't know if Instagram gives you much in that. Maybe they've updated so what Instagram, it since, but yeah, it, and it, you talk a little the thing is, that. it all depends on the niche, right? Some audiences are simply worth more than others. And I'll give you an example. Um, I have I run a page on Instagram called at luxuryism that pound for pound, that page is a lot more valuable than any other page that size simply because of the types of clients that we service. It's a page that posts luxury homes. Yeah. And so what's the ROI to a real estate agent that wants to sell a $5 million house and they want to use us as a media channel? Um, because it's like it, it has a very <laughs> yeah. elite audience. Celebrities follow that page. And so it's just a different demographic that you can sell a lot like of high ticket items to. And so pound for pound, that page, the shout outs, you know, would be 10 times what you would charge on, you know, a regular meme page of that same size. Um, so wow. A, it's all about the audience, how valuable is the audience, um, and um, B, like, I just put a minimum for my personal agency where now I'm doing campaigns uh, at a minimum of 7000 a month, uh, which gives me enough, enough wiggle room to test a lot of different things and most importantly is create original content. The main thing that's fucking up a lot yeah. of people right now on social media and how they're spending their ad budgets is they're overspending on distribution and they're underspending on content creation. Instead of spending so much freaking money on getting all of these shout outs and all these people to, to post your shitty ad, you can just, you can spend that <laughs> same money on creating elite superior content and that actually can be your whole marketing strategy. How Dollar Shave Club did it was they created yeah. awesome ads yeah, and those ads videos. just went viral so they didn't have to pay for distribution. And so that's what I'm currently pushing a lot of my clients to do is to focus more on the creative and digital assets that they have. So as far as your clients, you know, some, who are some of the people you've maybe worked with if you want to talk about that and maybe some of the sure. stuff you've done with them? Um, so yeah, that'd be great. Um, my top clients to name three would be... Uh, Fashion Nova, which is a fashion brand, which we've all probably heard of. 
um, which I simply distribute their ads across my network of media channels. So that's the shout out stuff mm-hmm. I'm talking about, getting them featured on, on certain media channels on Instagram. Uh, same thing with mm-hmm. uh, another personality, Diddy. Some people call him Puff Daddy. Uh, <laughs> He's, she's gone through an evolution yeah. of uh, The music artist and mogul. Um, I've done distribution for his personal brand um, and as well as was uh, when, when his Can't Stop, Won't Stop film uh, was released last year. I helped him push that. Um, uh, as well as uh, Ty Lopez, to the third one to be at, he sells info products online. As we all know, we've seen his ads. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> I've taught for those info products. Um, and I also help grow his media channels um and i also help manage some passion pages that he owns um on a daily basis um and so yeah i work with him on a daily basis just uh distribution and and content creation and so yeah i guess for people who don't know you would just you explain passion pages to me just the instagram accounts that are typically geared towards certain uh interests or uh, lifestyles, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Describe? Like that, that's the best way to sell anything is to first build a community around it. And what I mean by that is like if you're selling makeup products, then you should really consider starting a makeup channel in which all you post is makeup tutorials because the same girls that you're trying to sell your makeup products to like to follow and engage with those types of pages. <laughs> Like yeah, to put it exactly. On. So, like, <laughs> if you can provide them a ton of value by showing them tons of makeup tutorials, then they're going to be a lot more comfortable buying your products because you've already taught them how to do their mascara or whatever. Um, so that's yeah. what I mean by passion pages: is just uh, relevant content that's either entertaining, enlightening, or educational towards a certain market sector. That makes sense. And so do you think the focus has really been on Instagram or do you think it's moving elsewhere? I mean, obviously YouTube is huge. It seems like people are moving away from Facebook. You know, where do you see a lot of your clients wanting distribution? Where do you think is the best bang for their buck? I think Instagram. That's why I've quadrupled my efforts down on Instagram is, uh, and this is actually verbatim quoting Gary Vaynerchuk in his recent book release that came out January 30th, 2018 this year, where he said Instagram is the hottest network in terms of scale and impact. So aside from YouTube, Instagram has created the most famous people ever. And like there's legit college kids right now that are taking gap years from school to see if they can get big on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, So yeah. I believe in Instagram. A, obviously, it's following its parent company, Facebook's footsteps. Um, Zuckerberg is a freak when it comes to attention. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I like the fact how it's so user-friendly. And the main reason why I like it is because I'm betting on the mobile device. And so I think that the mobile device is going to continue to raise in popularity. 
it's been becoming more accessible, more people are getting it. Um, and 99% of people that use Instagram use it on their mobile device. And so it is the platform for the mobile device. It's a very intimate platform, meaning you can like, you can scroll your Instagram feed while you're on the shitter, while you're in bed, while you're on the bus, while you're waiting in the doctor's office. It's very immediate. Um, and not to mention, it's growing at a ridiculous rate of 500, uh, sorry, 500,000 new users every day. They're about to crack 900 monthly, 900 million monthly active users. Um, and also when you ask most bang for your buck, if you're an advertiser and thinking where you should spend your money, you should really consider Instagram because in a recent survey done by Statista, they said that when they interviewed influencers, 78% of influencers prefer Instagram for brand collaborations, while the next closest platform was YouTube at 4%. And so influencers like collaborating with brands on Instagram. <laughs> there yep. goes alarms. Another ad real fast. <laughs> Hey, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep working. It's a twenty-four hour day job. You know that's that's the one downside of entrepreneurship. It's it's never. It's literally never from when out. you fucking wake your uh, when you wake up to you know when you close your eyes <laughs> at night. <laughs> yeah, but that's why when it you know when it stops being fun, it it gets uh -huh. real hard to do because yep. it's your whole life. <laughs> Pretty much, man. <laughs> well. So as far as internationally, do you think some of that growth might just be more international than pushing into international markets but not growing so much here? Because I feel like everyone here, at least in definitely our generation who was going to get an Instagram probably has gotten one and I, I feel like probably more people might be leaving at this point than staying or than joining, uh, at least you know where we are, especially a place like LA. Um, do you think that might be indicative of people sort of starting to move elsewhere or do you think it's just going to keep going until it takes over the globe and people are going to stay just because of the network effects? Yeah. Uh, luckily, there's this thing called FOMO that exists, fear of missing yeah. out. And that's why these platforms are so hot because people are sharing and documenting their life, their experiences on these platforms. And in like social discussions, everybody just likes to talk about other people and what other people are up to. Um, so we live in a very gossipy world. Yeah. There's a lot of chatter. Um, and so yeah. I see every single social media platform. And I, I, I focus on Instagram because I think it's the most underpriced and it has the most potential. Um, but really any sort of social platform where there's attention is valuable. You know, people want to communicate online. Yeah. They want to share the, what they got going on. And as far as internationally, I think people in other countries outside of the U.S. are more fortunate when it comes to how they spend their advertising budget simply because they're... Yeah. Uh, they're, they're the, the, yeah, the U.S. is now becoming very saturated, and in other countries, it hasn't hit that point of saturation. So it's it's a lot cheaper in other countries uh, to run ads where you're getting the same results, but you're paying a lot less. 
Have you had any international brands or influencers to like reach out to you to do domestic ads? So that's, I guess, as it grows internationally, do you think more companies abroad will go, you know, more towards your market to get out yeah. into the U.S. market? Yeah, I've had brands uh, from Australia, Europe, um, all over uh, trying to tap into the U.S. market. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about the Internet is like if you have an online shop, it doesn't matter where your customers are from, as long as you offer, you know, international shipping, like you can, you can service anybody. And so, um, the reach of the internet is unlimited and, and global. And so, um, I'm definitely starting to see a lot more, uh, global brands start to move their advertising dollars into social media. Um, and right now I'm just trying to squeeze out all the juice that's got left because the moment that Fortune 500 brands catch on and, and start moving their millions yeah. of dollars into social media, it's going to be a lot more expensive. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We're, we're in a phase right now where, you know, you can get yours uh, cheap. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So I guess, you know, one of the cool things I know you do, you go to a ton of conferences, you see a ton of events. Um, and I know since you work, you know, closely with Ty, he's moving more into the crypto space. Um, so, have there been any things that you've sort of noticed that you have piqued your in interest within this industry? It doesn't even have to be crypto, you know. Things you've seen at conventions and experiences you've had. Anything? You'd yeah, like to highlight? I think that cause-backed cryptocurrencies are going to be extremely valuable. So like instead so, of a charity So I'll give almost? you an example. Uh, so one thing that came into my ecosystem um, January of this year was this app called Sweatcoin. Have you heard of it? Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that is like a perfect example of like, it's a cryptocurrency that has like, it has a very clear purpose on why it even exists. It's it's getting it's encouraging yeah. people to get up off their ass and move around and walk around, and they're incentivizing people to do that by giving them cryptocurrencies. Or well, not giving them, making them earn cryptocurrencies. Um, and yeah. so I think that that is a very interesting example of like how social media fits really well with the cryptocurrency market because it's like it's something that's like a social cause you know diabetes overweight all that is a being, people being overweight is is a huge problem uh globally especially in the u.s um and um seeing companies like that are really like i, I like seeing them because they actually they actually have a cause behind them and a purpose for existing. And so people can get behind them and support them. Yeah. Something similar. I know Science Blockchain out of Santa Monica, they're pushing for, you know, essentially investing in science. You know, it can be as simple as that. They raise tons of money just to invest in companies that they thought were doing good for society through, right. you know, science. Uh, and they can probably use that money far more effectively than a lot of charities when it comes to things that are a little more about needing incubation uh, and research 
uh, whereas charities are probably better more at distributing or redistributing the money that comes yeah. in. Um, you know, so I think it's an interesting take on that's what's separating that the winners and the losers in the age of social media is there's so much saturation with new brands being formed. You need to have that X factor, that that story to your brand that makes people want to support it and get behind it. Not just like, oh, we sell T-shirts. Well, shit, everybody sells T-shirts nowadays. You know, like what what's special about your <laughs> T-shirts? Where are the profits going? And so we're starting to see a lot more charitable causes. Uh, Ivory Ella is a perfect example of that. They're donating 10% of all their uh, all their proceeds to uh, to to save the elephants, like an elephant saving organization, and that's their whole brand. Yeah. They their elephant their logo is an elephant. Uh, there's this there's this brand I'm working with right now called Change uh, without the A, just C H N G E. They're donating fifty percent of the profits towards uh, clean water, um, uh, education, and environmental causes. Um, and so like these these are like the things that like. Everybody needs brand ambassadors nowadays and people to represent their brand. And that's that's the differentiating factor of like why people would actually want to represent that brand is because they have that story behind them. So they know that they're supporting like a cause they believe yeah. in, not just like, oh, you just got a cool style, but that's it. Yeah, I think they bridge the gap between those commercials that tell you they'll send you a T-shirt if you donate and, you know charity work because people want to donate they want to support companies with causes they believe in um, but they do also want to get something back because if you do want to donate to everything you want to you'll never have any money so you want to get something back that mm -hmm. you need anyway or that you want and it makes the purchase a lot easier but it also makes you know it makes you feel a lot better about the purchase generally if it's supporting something you care about so I guess it's it's about I mean, in the case of, you know, Tom's shoes, I think they're a pretty good example of finding a way to create something that people want to create sort of a movement around the brand uh, and do it well enough that you can, you know, charge enough of a margin so that you can donate, you know, essentially half of what right. your revenues would be. Uh, so it almost takes more work in a lot of cases, but I have a lot of respect for the companies that do manage to do that because it's not easy. You know, they're fighting yeah. an uphill battle already on well, the business model side. On that note, some companies end up <laughs> it ends up actually working out in their favor donating to charity for talk tax reasons. Um so depending how oh, they yeah. depending on how they structure it, That's some true. companies it's better for them to donate to charities than to donate to Uncle Sam. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who uh, who spends the money better honestly, <laughs> but you know <laughs> I remember uh I forget which, well, I don't know the numbers, so I'm not going to get into it specifically. But there was a, a charity in high school who a lot of people were trying to shill, essentially. And, you know, everyone was all about it. It was the, uh, what was it, the Comey? Comey 2012? I'm not sure. Uh, it, was, it was the, he was a, a warlord in Africa that they were mm. trying to apprehend. Uh, and people donated, you know, one girl alone raised something like $10,000. Uh, so kids from all these high schools were donating. And then they looked into the financials of the company and realized 
literally I think three cents of every dollar was going abroad and a lot of that money was actually ending wow. up in his hands <laughs> so it was you know you got to be really careful yeah. with this stuff and I think people need to look into because you know I don't know if the problem necessarily is not enough people giving to charity there's a lot of charity money out there it's the fact that the people a lot of times who are expected to be spending it well really aren't because when you when you run a charity it's non-profit but it's not non-profit for the person uh, working in the charity. So you can pay yourself an unlimited salary if you work at your own charity, and you can pay all of your, you know, all your friends who end up working there whatever you want. Um, so there can be a lot of waste, which I oh think yeah, is no, that's fucked up. Like some, but, you know, some, uh, <laughs> you know, some of these charity organizations seriously like. And that's so much worse than just not doing anything because they're mm. also, you know, acting, you know, walking around acting like they're yeah. they're helping people when, you know, it's it's exactly the opposite. Um, and I know, yeah, there were every day outside uh, college, one thing you got to to skip out on was, you know, you have the SPLU, the so Southern Poverty Law Center or SPLC, I guess, uh, guys out there every day and, you know, they're signing kids up and taking tons of money and uh, you should see their office. It's like a $50 million office. It's beautiful. So, you know, you see what they're yeah, actually spending their money on. Gotta be careful with those. Um, it, yeah, exactly. But uh, I guess back to crypto. So I know a lot of influencers have flipped over to crypto. Um, and I guess, you know, I... I think in a lot of cases it's good because we need people to push crypto, especially good crypto brands, out to people because it's getting really hard without you know without being able to explicitly market it via social mm -hmm. media ads. Um, but you know a lot of these guys are, I think from what I've seen, mostly focusing on the trading and the investing side, uh, which is where people are you know losing the most money. Uh, and it's also the hardest to get it right, the hardest to have good information. A lot of people are just kind of regurgitating things they've heard from some guy that everyone thinks knows, mm -hmm. uh, everyone thinks he knows what's going on. Um, so what have you noticed, you know, within your community? The way you got started, I think, was, you know, we started talking about it um, a couple summers ago and getting into yeah. the mining, and I was trying to walk you through right. Poloniex and stuff like that. Um, but I guess since then, since it's really heated up, what what have you noticed with people within your network and with you know on your radar? I think that the the more people get educated on the matter, the more excited they get about it. So, like this, the war that's being fought right now with cryptocurrencies and blockchain is that of information. I think that uh, the how blockchain and cryptocurrencies will thrive is by educating by voices like you myself and other supporters of this industry educating people about cryptocurrencies and you and I both know it's not about cryptocurrencies it's about blockchain blockchain solves the yeah. one of the most largest issues in business and that is the one of uncertainty of not being able to trust another party that you're doing yeah. a business dealing with trust right? is everything so that's what the yeah. blockchain solves 
and it yeah because if you think about you know uber and all of these companies that have created these p2p services what they've created is an economy that relies on trust to work by giving people the tools and the network to operate amongst themselves but it doesn't give them the tool to you know ensure that there is trust there and that you know you're getting getting what you hope to receive right on both like ends. uber like the so you know like the, the drivers operation. are held accountable the the people ordering the drive you know the drivers are, are held accountable that's that's what it comes down to is accountability that's what blockchain does really well and that's why uber has been so successful is because you know all these drivers want to be on their best behavior because a one-star review could really harm their <laughs> their business um yeah. so that's even uh well, i was just gonna sort of set tailor on uh, attack on you know the the fee they charge to precipitate the transaction you know whatever margin they have is actually sort of an unnecessary fee for most of the people using the network once once you enact blockchain so companies like arcade city uh in austin i think we're gonna have their co coo on soon um you know they are trying to solve that problem by taking that intermediary out completely which i think will probably be the next round of evolution in the space is where you don't need you know all these companies are trying to give people the tools to yep. decentralize essentially so instead of going to the taxi service you're just going to a person well you can decentralize it completely by taking the company that's the intermediary yeah. out of the equation completely and then everyone is much I happier agree. altogether I agree that um it's also democratized opportunity um like anybody if they need to generate extra money and are of age meet the qualifications like they can uh they can start driving on the weekends or whatever to start generating some money and um exactly. and that's what the internet does a, an amazing job of like i'm i just the internet's so new like i don't think the world i'm still wrapping my head around i'm not saying i'm a, you know like i know everything yeah. about the internet i just think that people don't give the internet enough credit for what it's doing and that is uh decentralizing stuff it's a world central nervous system and um yeah. it's democratizing like everything like 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 talent even you know like if you're good you don't need an yeah. agent you don't need a manager you don't need all that jazz to to quote unquote make it the internet will tell you if you're good all you have to do is show up um and so that's what's really exciting about the internet, cryptocurrency, blockchain especially, is that it's, um, yeah. it's, 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 it's putting a transparent screen like for the world. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's offering transparency to the world, which, like, which makes people a lot more comfortable in their business dealings. And, and, you know, if they order products from a company, they get to see all the certifications and all of that on the blockchain. And so that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think what's, what's exciting is all that money that's being, I guess, tied up in these companies like Uber and Facebook and, you know, all of that money, if you just made the process more efficient is going to go into every single, you know, 
users or drivers pockets so if you take mm -hmm. the margin away uh, from uber then all that money is actually just gonna go to the drivers and it's gonna become a much more palatable uh, career opportunity for them uh, I mean that specific example might go away when automation and self-driving cars come up but that applies to literally everything you know once once the company is removed and the sort of perverse incentives with shareholders um, then everyone ends up being better off because the community is responsible yeah. for itself each person is building their own personal brand instead of relying on the brand right. of the company so I uh, you know if I'm an uber driver well you know not a big deal if I you know do a bad ride maybe it's bad for me personally but it can be way more um, a problem for uber because internationally or nationally they might get a headline with some really you know unfortunate right. title uh, but by decentralizing it, you're you're putting a lot more of the responsibility back oh, yeah. on to the people who are who are actually responsible. So you, it goes both mm -hmm. ways. Cuts both ways. You know, they make more money, they have more responsibility. But I think I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. Um, and as far as you know, the the globalization of of you know everything from currencies to business to P two P. I know you've you know you done some work in China, uh, some stuff with supply chain and sourcing, and I think that's really interesting because most people, uh, I think most people in the U.S. have never been to China. I've been most places. I've been to Hong Kong, so I've been close, but I haven't been to China. Um, I'm glad you know the your, difference between your China and Hong Kong. Most people China. would think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a start. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really is just a different world out there. Um, I was like, every time I go out there, I come back so fired up because I it, it makes it strips me of like all my excuses and ever whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself that I work too hard like I remember China and how hard yeah. those people work. It is a very hustler type attitude out there on a daily basis. Everyone's just getting after it, working really hard, um, and it's. Um, it's great if you're sourcing products out there, obviously for various reasons, um, cost of labor, cost, everything's just a little cheaper out there. Um, you can really ball on a budget, they say, out there in China. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, if you don't speak the language, that's the, so the biggest like struggle that I've had working with China and dealing with factories and sourcing agents, all this um is the communication barrier it's super easy to misconstrue intent um simply because you don't speak the same language and so luckily now we have a team out there of people that speak the native language so we don't have any gray areas trying to do it ourselves um that was that's the main thing is and with it, it that's tried and true for any business um when the communication is super thorough transparent um there's very little room for error because you've talked about it that's where yeah. that's where it's, shit goes south is you know people people yep. um, exactly most people things really <laughs> they don't well they don't communicate um so yeah china yeah. um i love it when it comes to making products because we simply get really competitive rates that would 
cost us an arm and a leg out here in the states or in other countries um but it's not just china you know there's other third world countries india pakistan um where uh you can get like vietnam you can get uh stuff made yeah. uh rare, really cheap um and uh I, for me too you know like i get judged you know you're supporting other people's economies and stuff but like if you saw how like you know kids in india or vietnam live you know like people would be people would have a lot more empathy towards why like you know we're supporting them you know because they also you have to understand there's a lot of people from all oh, walks yeah. of life and you know like you're helping out their situation too it's not just about the US or or all that so that's that yeah i mean i remember going through vietnam and cambodia and you know boy, do you thank God for where you were born, you know, when you realize they, they eat their dogs in the mm-hmm. winter to stay alive, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but have you noticed, I guess, some manufacturing moving away from China into places like Cambodia and Vietnam now that they're moving more towards a post-industrial society? Or do you think really they're still the go-to for manufacturing? What's interesting about China and the landscape of the sourcing industry is now because of the internet it's more they are actually china the chinese are getting smart and they're actually now going direct to consumer too so before yeah especially amazon i know amazon heavily recruited a lot of chinese manufacturers to fill up their platform and that's one of the reasons they have so many problems with counterfeiters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sorry, but oh, yeah. go, so, go ahead. As I was saying, like, I think actually the move when it comes to China is to actually own a factory, to be a factory owner, because that's, that's, well, that's what I've seen in the industry a lot of people are starting to do. Instead of just like getting their products from a factory, now they want to own it because now they have a, a place to directly produce their goods and if they figure out the internet side of things they can sell directly to the consumer like what's crazy about uh alibaba and aliexpress and stuff is like like you'll even mm-hmm. see it sometimes where people run facebook ads and they're simply just drop shipping a product from china and somebody will know oh, that yeah. <laughs> they will actually comment on that ad no, don't buy it from these fuckers at $20. You can get it from China for $4. And they'll actually drop they'll drop the Alibaba <laughs> link um, or the AliExpress link. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's that's what's interesting. Yeah, I used to yeah. do a ton of drop shipping, and I think they, they've gotten smart. They're like, why are we letting these people make all yeah. the margin on it? So that's <laughs> what I see happening. I see, I see Chinese uh, selling directly to consumer. Well, I think what they really need is someone like you because they just don't know how to market things in a, you know, in the U.S. So they have a terrible, terrible time trying to brand and uh, yeah, and push sales to to U.S. consumers just because they don't really know our culture and our language and you know, it's it takes a lot of work to know, you know, first you have to be very proficient in English to know you know, the slang and the culture and what's hot. And so there's a lot of little stuff that comes very intuitively to us, but just the same way we would have no way of knowing where to start marketing 
you know, our business in China. <laughs> and they probably, they probably have a good head start on us doing the same, but uh, there are a lot more people in our market with more experience doing that who have taken advantage right. up to this point. Um, so when you're, when you're going, you know, something I've always wondered, uh, I've tried to have a few things manufactured in China. I've never been successful. I know you have to go through and get everything formally designed, uh, prototype. So do you think you typically would come to them with a prototype and then they would make it? Or, um, I know you have to have all the specs laid out for their machines and they've got to do, you know, what does that process yeah, be look more like? clear and precise instructions that you can give to the manufacturers the better um, if you have like a tangible prototype that you can give to them and tell them to replicate it that's best case scenario because um, they have the product in hand um, but yeah I usually my process is sending them out a very detailed list of specs and anything that is important information for them to know on like how to make it so like how I have envisioned it yeah so well that's I guess that that's good to know so you you can kind of come to them with something in hand because I know prototyping is fairly easy in the US it just mm -hmm. can be very expensive I think I tried to have <laughs> I had one idea for a belt that would have a mobile phone charger built into it um, so you could have like a little battery pack right on your hip and you could just put a little USB into your pocket and charge your phone. Um, and I was trying to get that prototyped and I was looking at, you know, $5,000 wow. minimum just to get, you know, a plastic, uh, not even plastic, it was going to be like a rubber uh, belt made. Even with all of the uh, design work done, it was rendered in 3D, the specs were there. I was like, you just had to 3D wow. print the thing and they're like, $5,000. So, so I'm sure going to mm -hmm. China saves you a lot uh, when that's the barrier to entry yeah. here. Um, so that's, you know, that's really interesting. Um, and I know in China they use a different sort of payment mechanism. Do you have any insights as to how crypto might end up being used the in China? The last time I checked, correct me if I'm mistaken, but I feel like they banned cryptos, didn't they? Yeah, so I mean, they, they have been pushing back hard against it but they were also one of the first countries or at least not the country itself but the citizenry and the business interest to really embrace things like mining uh, which is why I'm a little suspect as to the future of where they're going with it I could see them maybe putting out a state-sponsored currency um, I think probably the state just wants the ominous of control they put out all these uh, pretty creepy like social credit scores the things like that uh, the camera systems have gotten really crazy they can analyze every person's face uh, in the country instantaneously from their camera systems so I think they are going a little more big brother with the way mm -hmm. things are going so I mean you might be right they might be that they just kind of force crypto out of the country more permanently the, um, so here, here so but, what the interesting thing about China actually is that their payment mechanism right now, like the the go-to is an app called WeChat, which is already digital yeah, currency. That's, what so that's what's thinking, awesome yeah. is like 
for them to integrate cryptocurrencies would be super easy because they've already built the infrastructure for it. Like you don't even need to carry a wallet in China. All you need is your phone. And if you want to pay your taxi driver or your tab at the restaurant, you just scan a QR code and it pays it immediately because the, the app is linked to your bank account. So, um, yeah, so that's that, actually, that I, and I think like China is like pioneering <laughs> that. Like well, I, I, another, like this is actually one of Peter Diamandis's six uh, D's of uh, exponential organizations um, is dematerializing. Um, so anytime you can dematerialize something, such as the wallet, you don't need to carry a wallet anymore. That's super um, crucial. Just how like Apple dematerialized flashlights. You don't need a flashlight yeah. anymore. You have it on your phone. They dematerialize <laughs> yep. the alarm clocks. You yeah. don't need alarm clocks. Your phone has one. And then GPS you're just is, you're saving that, money yeah. at the end of the day. It's one exactly. less thing you have to buy that you can you know spend on something you want to buy. So it does seem like you know the more consolidation that happens as far as you know just products in general, the more money people are going to have to spend on things they're passionate right. about. Uh, which is something exactly. we've touched upon. So, I, you know, I think it's only a matter of time till that that shift is going to occur. But people mm -hmm. have to be ready for it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a good place to stop. Okay. Um. We will always, you yep. know, have you back on going forward. I just wanted to kind of do a little meet and greet. So, you know, we want to casually sort of introduce some of the founders to the audience and hear from you guys and you guys always have interesting stuff yeah. to say so it's great to have you on if there's any you know any links or anything you want to talk about uh, for people to check out more of what you're doing um, you know feel free okay. to go over that real quick and yeah thank you guys up. so much for making it this far we're at an hour and four minutes we appreciate your time and attention yeah. if you would like to check out what I do more, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Childish Pablo. At Childish, FYI, is I'm, I'm going to be a child forever. I'm never growing up. That's my mission in life. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. that's, that's the way to exactly. do it. Kids are happy. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, you can find me on Instagram, like I said, at Childish Pablo. And if you have any requests for future podcasts or any topics you would like us to discuss, feel free to tweet us at cryptoeconomy underscore me uh, and we will be happy to discuss those topics. That's that for me. All right. Perfect. <laughs> you did my job for me. So thanks, oh, okay. guys. Uh, will and I will be hopping on for the QAnon podcast. Uh, we've been preparing for this one for a while, so we're going to be going over as much as we possibly can. It'll be a little more informal, but we've done a lot more research, so hopefully it'll be interesting. We'll be going over it, trying to give you our take on it and figure out you know, what's true, what's not, and if you've just heard the name or you've never heard about it before, it's something interesting to know uh, and interesting to be aware of. So we'll be back with that, and Pablo, right. Thank that's you. a wrap. Thanks, man. Bye-bye.